That's for sure. It's great to sense the excitement and uh, just come in and and be a part of that and feel it. I, I hope you are enjoying this season in the church's life as well. I would I would mention <clears throat> um, it, it's. Uh, I talked about this in Sunday school. This is not going to be a revival of coming in and hitting. Uh, this sin and, and that sin, not at least the kind that we normally think of, but there are other forms of revival. Basically, revival is just coming into in line with biblical truth, and that's what that's what true revival is. And sometimes we think it requires you know jumping up and down and you know running in circles or you know all kinds of of things that that can be exciting, but really it's coming into line with biblical truth. And, but my particular interest and in, in how I just sensed as best I could the Lord's leading this time is to just a, a revival of church members being committed to what God has for them through their church in the future. And I have a, I have a great desire to see your pastor succeed and in his leadership of this church, therefore, for you to succeed. And having been a pastor for a few years, led through building programs and, and gone through the cycles, the ups and the downs, and then had an opportunity to at least preach in a few places and watch churches and, and how they do well, how they, how they just level out, how they falter, then it's been a great help for me to learn from watching others maybe to not repeat some of those mistakes, to learn what I could from them, and then to whatever extent that I can go and, and challenge others through those observations. That's what I would like to do for West Valley this week. Now, let, let me warn you of something. You are enjoying a really neat time as a church. Some of you have been here for quite a while. Um, Brother Jonathan, how long have you been here as pastor? Four and a half? All right, so let me just ask you, how many of you have been here more than five years? Been a part of this church more than five years. Okay, all right. Lower your hands. So you've been here that long, and you've been able to see some neat things happen at the church, but you're being able to realize that, that God has you know, some, some wonderful things down the road potentially and seems to be uh, moving in a great way. And here is the warning and here is the challenge. You, you can look at that two ways. You can see the momentum that you have going and you can decide, man, that momentum, momentum means so many things are going good. It is, it is going to be great. And, and you can feel like you're invulnerable, or you're invincible because so many things are, are going great. What could go wrong? On the other hand, you could say, you know, things are going so good, that makes us a target. It makes us a target. The, uh, we, we have a place in, in Stillwater that's just in the end of being built, and it, it's, it's either the second or the third largest uh, a plant or factory in America for rare earth magnets. And one of the things we've discovered is those are so significant in military application now that Stillwater becomes a higher target because of this 
this huge company moving in and producing these rare earth magnets. And I mean, nobody wants to go over there because they're afraid their car's going to be sucked in or something, you know, and, and it's just going to attract all the metal, you know, that's around. But it's interesting. It, it's great to have the, uh, the extra, you know, commercial application and the jobs in Stillwater, but it comes at a cost. It makes us a target. Well, some great things going here, but one of the things you need to realize, it makes you a target. You would be a target of Satan. And if I can just say it as clearly as possible, you, hopefully I, I can say some things this week that will cause you to say, let's don't have our head in the sand. Let's not just enjoy this so much that we don't take time to realize if we don't protect it, it can be gone faster than it came. And the vision that I see out there is a great vision. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I have a little bit of a solution because you need land. And it just so happened this past week, our church put 112 acres up for sale. <laughs> and what do you say? Like, uh, I heard like $12 million for 12 acres. Do you know how much we want for 112 acres? One and a half million. We'll make you a deal. <laughs> all, all the money that you save... You can distribute it as gas money to the members to drive to Oklahoma and back for services, you know. Uh, isn't that crazy, the difference in, in land prices? Yeah, I mean, literally, um, Brother Jonathan was there. We had thought about relocating uh, to this, and then just some of the circumstances of zoning and all of that stuff made it more attractive to stay where we were. So now we're going to sell the land, now, obviously at a, at a nice profit, but... Uh, one and a half million for 112 acres, that's, that's a lot of money, but I can't imagine paying 12 million, you know, for 12 acres. And not necessarily that's what you're going to do, but just to see the difference in land prices is amazing. But as I mentioned in Sunday school, your God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and He can do anything He wants to. The limiting factor will be you, not Him. And so hopefully then I can come in not as... Your pastor, maybe as his pastor, you're probably thinking, well, if you're his pastor, why don't you just preach to him and give us all a break? You know, well, I'm sure he needs it in some way or another. Andrea says that he does. And, and Ashlyn was just telling me some of his sins when I was sitting there giving me stuff. to. I said, come on, give me some dirt and I can preach on, you know. And, and uh, so I wrote down about seven things and then we got interrupted, and, you know, before I could get to all the others that she was going to list as well. So... Uh, I, I hope I hope that the messages can be something that will just help uh, instill a little bit of a revival about your future and how God could use you. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. If you'll stand with me as we read the scripture. I don't know of another subject that as pastors who have observed other churches... Many times, even as members who have been a part of other churches, I don't know of a, a greater threat than what I will preach about this morning. A greater threat to your church, Bible Baptist Church of Stillwater, any church that is trying to accomplish something, this has torpedoed more churches than any other thing that I would be aware of personally. And I think most pastors would agree Matthew 15, look at verse 21. 
Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Notice this last phrase, and her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Father, we need your Holy Spirit to do what I'm not capable of, even what individuals in this room themselves are not capable of. We need you to take your word and illuminate it and make application and even to point out to us places where we need to be brutally honest with ourselves and with you. And I pray that you would help me to be clear and as compelling, at least as I'm able, but that your Holy Spirit would do some things that would lead not only to the preservation of West Valley Baptist Church, but a propelling into the future that would enable them through protecting themselves individually and their church that they could achieve significant things that you have for them in the future in this part of the country. Lord, I pray that you would use them greater than they imagined that they could be used and that through their desire and their passion for you and your word and what difference you can make in people's lives, that they would use this week to just enable them to go further and and that you would use them to meet the needs of families that they've never even met yet, but that need what you offer and in the way that this church presents it to them. So bless these messages, I pray. Use them to your own honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. It's interesting in this section of the scripture that Jesus does something that he normally doesn't do. He is primarily staying with the Jews his, his whole time. But two times, and this time in particular, he goes to an area outside of the Jews that would not be as friendly to him. Now, he was in places before where he would meet people that were not Jews, but this time he goes way out of the area, and he goes into the region of Tyre and Sidon, which was not friendly, and they did not care anything about which what Jesus had to offer. And so he hadn't done this before, and he's not going to do it again, certainly not this way. And, and really, he is going a long way 
out of his way to even get here to the place that he is. And he has so much work to do where the, in Israel where the Jews are and, and where, where the people that, you know, even though they're going to reject him, it'd still be where he has been sent. But in this case, he's going into a, a completely different place. That's what we find in verse 21. Then in verse 21, we find the first encounter that he has there. That this woman of Canaan came out of that area. She was of that area. And it does tell us that she is a Canaanite. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know that that is the worst possible race to a Jew. I mean, even the Samaritan woman, as, as looked down as she would be and how her and Jesus would not be on the same you know, playing field there, a Canaanite woman is the worst. I mean, you think about a woman of Canaan and you think about Canaanite and you go all the way back to the, the book of Joshua and Judges and, and even coming into that time where the, the children of Israel are, are coming out of Egypt and they're going to the promised land and they encounter all of these other nations that are inhabiting the land that God gave them. And, and one of the key things you find back there is they were supposed to drive out the Canaanites. They were not supposed to co-occupy the land with the Canaanites because typically when you have people that are supposed to be holy and they have a holy God and you mix them with people who don't have a holy God and they have these other kinds of gods, the influence doesn't go the right way. That's still true, by the way. It takes some people really committed to their God to not be influenced by those who have false gods. And so in this case, then the, you know, the, the Canaanites eventually get the greater hand, even though the Israelites had some great days. Well, they're, they're constantly battling the Canaanites. And they had been told, the Canaanites will be thorns in your side. You cannot exist with them there. You're going to have to win the battles. You have to drive them out. And yet they didn't, not completely. And the, and the Jews and the Canaanites were at odds, I mean, constantly. And you find here that Canaan is still, is still a real land and still has some adversarial effect on the Jews. And so this is not a good relationship. In, in fact, some of the, the gods that the, the Canaanites had would have like Baal or, or Astarte and, and ones that would make their people do horrible things to honor them or to please them. It's phenomenal the kinds of gods that they would have. And so basically you'd have to realize the only, maybe the only reason in pointing that out is this lady had no grounds to approach Jesus Christ. I mean, she was a Canaanite. They don't have anything to do with the Jews. And she was not a Jew. Her, her people never were kind to the Jews. And, and so there's nothing in her which should make her think that Jesus is going to do anything for her. Because here he is, he's been sent to the Jews, and, and that's, the, that's his reason for, for there. But yet he comes way out of his way, and it appears maybe just for this woman. But even with all the animosity between these two, and between these two countries or these two people, then she comes to a point where she decides, all right, I know I'm Canaanite. I know he's a Jew but he might have an answer for me that I need. And I, I've got to try. I, I've, got, I've got to go to where he is. I don't know how she heard about him. It, 
you know, the, obviously word would travel back then and news would travel. And, and, and she's probably heard stories of, of all these different healings and even raising from the, the dead and the things that he had done. And she, she would have to think, I, I think that maybe, just maybe he has the answer to the problem that I have. And she decides to put her eggs in that basket and to say, let's go see. And imagine the humbling that that would take. Imagine how bad she wanted what she wanted to go approach him. I, I, don't, think we could comp- I don't think we could comprehend what that would be like with, with the, the bad blood that was between them. But what she needed and wanted, she wanted really bad. And that's what we find in verse 22 that she says, My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. I mean, her, her daughter has this major sickness, this, this major malady that, that the, we don't know whether it was actually caused by a, a demon possession, possession or not. In, in that day and time, a lot of things, if it got bad enough, they would say it's a demon. And it very well could have been a, a demon. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. That's certainly in her mind that she needs somebody to cast this devil out of her daughter Basically, she just wants her daughter to be healed. So it doesn't matter whether it's a demon or whether it's a, a serious illness of some kind. She, she has these, uh, obviously has these times in which she loves her daughter and she's trying to care for her daughter. But her daughter is acting either physically or, or mentally is acting in such a way in which it is just, she hates seeing her suffer. She hates seeing her in that condition. And, and maybe every day she gets up and she's watching what her daughter goes through and then what the mother herself goes through then trying to tend to her daughter and loving her and, and maybe having gone to this doctor and that doctor and, and people who had tried to cast demons out of her or, or people who had tried to heal her of this and given her this remedy and this remedy and she needs to eat this and she needs to drink this and she needs to go on on this kind of a fast or she needs to go to this place and be in this climate. I don't know how many things that she had tried, but you get the sense that she had tried a lot if she's now willing to go to Jesus Christ, a Jew. I guarantee you she would exhaust everything else she could before she would ever go to him and ask for help. And so she's probably been through a lot. And something brings her to the point where she breaks and she says, all right, I'm going to go ask. So she finds him and cries out to him in verse 22. Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Now this, this O Lord, that's, that's a, quite a long shot for her too. Because, I mean, she could have called him anything, but she calls this Jew her Lord. And, and so this is significant to her, and, and she really wants this bad. And, and so she comes to this point, and yet look at verse 23. But he answered her not a word. Now imagine in her mind, here she's gone through all that she has with her daughter. She's tried everything else that she might would try, and she finally comes to the point when she hears about Christ, I'm actually going to go to where he is. She humbles herself, cries after him, and begs him to heal her daughter. And here's his response. That's it. He doesn't even, he didn't even he didn't respond at all. He doesn't say anything. I, I don't know whether he just 
stood there and stared at her, maybe turned his back on her, walked away, or maybe just, I don't know what he did. He just didn't answer. The scripture makes it abundantly clear she got nothing out of him. She got nothing from him. All right, so then you look at the next phrase. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. So here's her second treatment. The disciples, the ones who, who serve him and are learning from him, they actually go to Jesus and say, listen, she's bugging us. She's crying after us. She, she's, she's trying to get us to get your attention, and she's getting on our nerves. Would you send her away? Get rid of her, please, Jesus. She's annoying. That's the response she gets. So first of all, Jesus doesn't say anything. Well, the disciples say something, but they're saying, get rid of her. We can't stand her. We have work to do. This woman doesn't have a right to be here. Just get rid of her. Finally, he speaks. Verse 24. But he answered and said, first of all, he's not talking to her. He's talking to the disciples and answer to them. So he's still not talking to her, but he is at least saying something about the situation. But here's what he says. I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So when he finally does speak, I mean, after he's been silent, number one, the disciples complain, get rid of her, number two. But number three, the, the response that she gets is, I'm not sent to her. I don't have anything to do with her. Now, if we had plenty of time, we're going to turn this into a series and we could get into quite a bit of what is meant here. I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, because that is who he was sent to, to the Jews. The Jews rejected him. He was going to secure salvation, you know, for all. And then people would believe on him for that salvation. Yes, that was true. But he's still being technically correct that he came through the line of the Jews and he's sent to the Jews. And so he's just technically stating, I'm not sent to the Canaanites, I'm sent to the house of Israel. It's not that the Canaanites can't benefit from it. Some probably did, that believed she did ultimately. But he says, I'm not sent to her. And then in verse 25, then look at her response. Then came she and worshipped him. Now, I commend you because, you know, you worshipped a lot of ways today, but you certainly worshipped in the most biblical way. Because the word means to, to put oneself low to the ground. And so that's biblical worship. Well, she came and she worshipped him. And, and again, she didn't come singing praise and worship songs. That's not what it means. It means that she bowed herself before him. It's literally what that meant. That, that's the, 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 the position of her, her body. And so she comes and, and she bows down to him and she says, Lord, help me. I mean, can you hear the plea in her voice? It's, it's that she's not getting a response, first of all. And then the response she gets is, get rid of her. We, we can't stand her. And then, and then he insults her that I'm not even sent to that woman, not sent to her people and, and now she bows down and she pleads with him, Lord, help me, surely he will now give her a response. Well, he responds for sure. Verse 26, but he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread 
and to cast it to dogs. This is Jesus saying to this woman who is crying out to him a second time, help me, help me. I'm coming to you. I don't have anywhere else to go. And this is the treatment she gets. What an insult. It is not meat to take the children's bread, meaning the Jews, and, and cast it to the dogs, meaning the Canaanites. Now, he's not making the interpretation, but he's saying that in such a way that's probably what she's going to think, obviously. So she walks away mad. No. Verse 27, and she said, Truth, Lord. Now, just imagine that. For her to say, okay, you're right. And, and technically, that, that's true. You, you, know, you, don't, you don't take the children's bread and take it from the children and give it to the dogs. And so, I mean, she's saying, Lord, I'm going to follow your analogy here. That's true. But what's also true is the dogs, verse 27, the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. That's a very humble statement. Which is a very humble statement after a very humble posture. You know, where, where she, she says, I, I can't argue. You don't take bread from the children and you give it to the dogs. But Lord, if I'm the dog, I, I would simply argue that at least we get the crumbs. And if I could have your crumbs, my daughter could be healed. You, you are capable of that. And at that response, then verse 28, Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Meaning what you desire of me, that's what I am granting to you. And, and then that, that last phrase, which is what she wanted, and her daughter was made whole from that very hour. That's quite a woman. That, that's, that's pretty fascinating. But here's, it, it's, not, it's not just in the, our interest is not just in the Jewish aspect of the story, the, the, the Canaanite and, and all of that. We, you know, we know that those who come and humble themselves before Jesus Christ receive salvation. That's, that's the truth. And anybody in this room that has, that has been saved is you got saved by accepting the truth of Jesus Christ and what he came to do. That's the only way that you get saved. And, and if you're in the room and you're not saved, the only way you're going to get there is by trusting Jesus Christ and what he did for you. And that might be the very reason that God brought you here today. But our interest in this case is in her interaction with Jesus Christ and how this goes back and forth and particularly watching how she deals with Jesus Christ and applying it to what might could be a real help in this church and its future. Because if you're, if you're thinking, so is he going to tell us that demon possession is the worst thing? Well, only among the toddlers, you know, that... Yeah, he'd, or, or, or maybe some of the youth, you know, you think we'd, if we'd cast demons out of the youth, we'd be a whole lot better church. You know, them, them demonic youth, you know, we have there, especially them preacher's kids, they're the worst always, you know. And I know that firsthand because I have, I have uh, helped half raise, not half raise them, but yeah. Well, so the question that comes to my mind in this story is, 
why did it last as long as it did is what I wonder sometimes. When I try to put myself in the position of this woman, why did this woman just walk away as soon as she was rebuffed? I mean, she came, if Jesus is here, I mean, she would have been like way over here. I'm, I'm talking about emotionally and mentally and, and everything. She would, no part of that. But somehow, all of these different steps that she had to overcome in her mind and, and love for her daughter and just the miserableness of watching her daughter and all of these things that she has to overcome to finally get to him. And she comes to him and begs and he doesn't respond And why didn't she just walk away? Why wouldn't she just tell him, forget it. If that's who you are, if if I went through all of this just to come to you and, and for you to ignore me, you're not who I thought you were. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'll find an answer somewhere else. Whether she knew of one or not, she could just walk away and forget that and say, I I had such high hopes in you. I heard all these stories, but that's not you. You're not who I thought you were. Why not just get her feelings hurt and decide it's not worth it? Maybe he isn't so special after all. Well, there's a couple things that stand out here. Number one, what she wanted for her daughter, she wanted it really bad. She loved her daughter. And she had watched her daughter suffer. And describing her daughter as grievously vexed by a devil. Then when Jesus didn't respond, she has to figure out, how much do I love my daughter? Not how much did he offend me. How much does my daughter mean to me? She wanted her to be healed. I I mean, on the text, you would have to say, I don't know if there's a husband involved or not, or a dad involved. It doesn't seem like that. It's not necessarily imperative to the text, but it seems like there may not be. And maybe she is all that her daughter has. And she wants her daughter to be better, to be well. And then second, she believed that he had the answers above all others. And those two things had to be ringing true in her mind for this to last as long as it did. And it basically leads to the question that I've always had from this text. Could this mother afford to be offended? Could she afford to get offended? What would she gain by being offended at Christ? I mean, so she comes all of this way to him, and she cries out to him, and he ignores her. All right, so she can say, forget you, and walk away. What did she just gain? Well, I suppose she felt better in the moment. Because she told him off. You're going to treat me like that. I'm going to treat you like this. Forget you. Okay. That's basically what she gained. What did she lose? Her daughter. She loses her daughter. She loses any chance for the little girl that she loved 
to be healed. And she wanted that so bad that when he didn't answer, oh, okay, but I, I'm still here. I need, I need this for my daughter. And then the disciples complain. Get her out of here. She's whining and crying after us. And she could have insulted every one of those 12 disciples and and said, I shouldn't expect anything out of you fishermen anyway. You're just just a, a bunch of uncaring. You probably don't even have kids of your own. And she could have come up with, out of her hurt, she could have come up with her own insults and her own ideas of that's who those disciples are. That's who I think they are. And she could have called them every name in the book. She could have come up with everything that she want, wanted to because after all, hurting people hurt people. And, and so she could have gone to that and said, forget that. I am done with this crew. Whatever made me think that this was worth it. And the passion that existed in her heart moments earlier could be totally gone. And once again, I ask you, what does she gain? She doesn't gain anything. Maybe a little bit of pride. She was able to tell them what she thought, and she feels better. I mean, this whole time, every every stage of it, there are plenty of things that she could have said, ways that she could have reacted, and maybe she feels better at the moment, but the fact is she loses a lot. So this woman basically comes down to this. She had to decide in the moment that all of these offenses are coming her way, do I care more about my offense or my daughter? And that settles the text. She had to decide, what do I care most about? And then act off of that. And it, I mean, she, she had some serious, serious insults hurled her way. In a sense, humanly speaking, this woman actually had a right to be offended because she was insulted. I mean, I don't, the text isn't making any of this up from what, from what we understand about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the preservation of this text. Then we have exactly what took place in that story. And Jesus did say some things that would be, that would be insulting to her. And if she's talking right, she has a right to take this as an offense. But she still had to contend with this. But how much does my daughter mean to me? And that's going to determine how much this offense means to me and how important that this offense is. I'm telling the church, there is a natural and a satanic conspiracy to use offense against you. And most pastors will tell you it is responsible for torpedoing more churches than any other single factor. Not giving enough money? Nope. Well, just the, the... the area around the, the building, you know, it kind of went downhill. No, it doesn't necessarily torpedo churches. Well, the sanctuary is too full. Well, you, you need to solve that, but it's a great problem to have, and you're trying to solve it, but that doesn't torpedo churches. Story after story after story is that people had to deal with, I've got an offense. Now, how much does this, is this offense going to mean to me? compared to how much this means to me and then having to decide. There are going to be people in your life 
that God wants to use to help you obtain what it is that you need most. He wants to use them, and they can help you in some ways like nobody else can. And God wants to use them in the way that He's not going to use others. And there is a human tendency that, that, and a satanic conspiracy, that the ones that Satan would like to separate you from the most are the ones who can take you the furthest. Besides being biblical, that's flat out logical. It just, that's just reasonable. Who are those individuals? Well, first and foremost, the text says it's Jesus Christ. The text says it's Jesus Christ because there is no substitute for him in your life. None whatsoever. And I'm telling you, in many of your lives, there's going to come a situation. There's going to come an incident. And and you are going to get a different view of Jesus Christ maybe than you had a week earlier. Or a month earlier. Or six months earlier. And you're going to get into your your mind something that maybe you get offended because, because Jesus Christ. Or you might say, well, God allowed this into my life. How could he do this? He, I've given... I've tried to raise my, my family right, and I go to this church faithfully. God, how could you do this? And you come to a point where you've got a very serious decision to make. Are you going to be better off being offended? Or are you going to be better off saying, but I need him? I don't understand what he just did. I don't understand why he's allowing this in my life. I do not understand why he has not answered my prayer. But I am wise enough to know I need him. And what I gain by being offended at my God or Jesus Christ is not near as great as what I lose if I get offended at him. He's your God. He's a real God. He's the God. He can do things for you nobody else can do. And, and let me tell you something. You, you, can, you can be nodding and you can be saying amen and you should. But I'm telling you at our best times on a Sunday morning when, when we are surrounded by great songs lifting up attributes of God and we're kneeling to Him, you can get a phone call tomorrow and everything changes just like that. That's when we have to figure out are we going to get offended at God? Are we Are going to get offended at Jesus Christ? Some of you have things that you need done in your family that you're pretty sure it ain't going to happen any other way. If Jesus Christ doesn't move, if God doesn't intervene in some way, if he doesn't affect my, if he doesn't do something in my child's heart or in my spouse's heart or, or in this situation, if he doesn't do something, then I'm in real trouble and you need him I would say to many others in this room including these right here and, and these here and in most cases I realize there's exceptions but in most cases God's given you a dad and a mom and you don't have any substitute 8 billion people on the planet and he's entrusted you to two and they can do things for you that nobody else can do. Children were not given to churches. They were given to families and parents. 
Churches are supposed to be a great help in, in lighting a fire under families and dads and moms and, and, and youth programs and camps and all of that. Those are great things. But children were given to parents. And God's given you a dad and a mom. And let me tell you right up front, if you haven't figured it out, they're not perfect. They're not perfect. They never will be perfect. But they don't have to be perfect to be somebody that God wants to use in your life. And one of the greatest dangers that will come in your relationship with your parents is an offense. Because you need them. You're going to get offended at your mom. And you don't like how she does this. You don't like how she did that. She expects that. You're going to get offended at, at your dad. He's just too hard on me. And he, he expects this and he expects that. And he got on to me for this and he, expect, he got on to me for that. Yes, but in the wisdom of God, God made him your dad. And you cannot afford to get offended. You, you think, well, I don't, I don't need them. I, can't, I cannot wait till I get out of that house. And I get to do my own thing. My soul, have I watched so many sons and daughters take such a wrong turn in their life when that attitude slipped in. Because some offense came, whether it was valid or not, becomes irrelevant. They didn't realize how much they would actually lose when they allowed that wedge in their relationship with their parents. And became a problem. What they ended up losing was so much more than they gained. And they thought, boy, I'm going to gain a whole lot more. I'm going to gain my freedom. I'm going to gain my own way to do things. I'm going to gain the ability to choose my friends the way I want to and work where I want to and and come and go when I want to. Man, look at all this stuff I'm going to gain. And you're going to lose a relationship with the one or two people God put in your life that He expects so much for you to benefit from. And you will lose so much more than you gain if you don't deal with that offense. You know, the fact is it's going to happen with spouses. You have husbands and wives and, and, and both need the other. Both complete the other. It's not just that a wife completes a husband, a husband completes a wife. They, they complete each other and, and there is a need. And yet how many marriages end up being so inferior and be places where somebody didn't want to go home to sometimes because an offense came through the wife, offense came through the husband. And instead of realizing, wait a minute, I, I am not going to gain enough through this offense and being offended at my wife or being offended at my husband to counter what I'm going to lose, what we're going to lose in our home as, um, as an example to our kids and, and an example to other families in the church. And you end up having to ask, almost like the, like the woman did, okay, does this offense mean more to me than my daughter? And sometimes you need to stop and say as a husband and a wife, let's quit being so sensitive to each other. Let's quit thinking that it's just going to, all it takes is this little big to upset the apple cart and figure out, is this little offense a lot bigger deal than my husband or my wife in a good marriage? And sometimes you have to realize, Lord, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be so offendable in that case. You need them. You need the spouse that God has given you. There's, there's no sense going into all of this without talking about even a pastor in a church relationship. There's no, he will never claim to be perfect. No pastor understands the scripture will ever claim to be perfect. The fact is, God gives a church a pastor. And the nature of the role of a pastor, there will be offense. 
there will be. I have offended church members every time that I'm aware of. It has been unintentional, but sometimes it has still been a real offense. I, I, I didn't handle it right. And, and God has to work in my heart to help me see the wisdom of, okay, I need to do this, right? I should have discerned this better. And, and every pastor grows. A pastor that's, I mean, I've, again, I've pastored 26, 27 years, and I'm still disappointed in the mistakes that I can make. You know what? After I've pastored 40 years, I'm still going to make mistakes because I'm human. I want to do right. I want to make the right decisions. But it's pretty complex these days. There's some pretty challenging situations. And I didn't go to 20 years of doctoral study to study every one of these situations. I, I try to get along with God and figure out, well, God, what, what do you want me to do? And, and get on my face before God and say, God, you know I want to be the shepherd this church needs. But I, in, in some ways, I'm a sheep too. I'm your sheep. And I, 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 I need your wisdom. And, and sometimes those things will come along. And yet every church member at every one of those times has to decide, what am I going to gain? By this offense versus what do I stand to lose? What do we stand to lose as a church? What do we stand to gain? Well, the fact is there are some things that, that, that a pastor is going to preach and going to deliver the word of God. And I think, you, I think you value that time in a service. You value the role of a, of a pastor in doing that. But I'm telling you, offense begins to grow. People don't listen the same as when they're not offended. Not even just to a pastor, but to a, the Holy Spirit. And then you have church members and other church members. I mean, Hebrews 10 tells us that, that when we come together, it's not just a, a pastor who's going to challenge us. We are to provoke one another unto love and to good works. So you need the people sitting in your same row. And you need the other believers in this room. And the younger as a Christian you are or the, or the less mature of a Christian that you are or the newer church member you are, you need those that are established and yet... When, you, when people are working together and they're serving the Lord together, even though they're serving the Lord, there can be offenses. And there, there can be troubles and there can be challenges. It, it, it's human nature 101. It's going to happen. It becomes a matter of people sitting back and saying, okay, now, if I, if I take this offense and I run with it, what do I have to gain? What does our church have to gain? What do we have to lose? I'll tell you what you have to lose. You can say goodbye to that wall out there in that building. You can say goodbye to a full sanctuary and excitement. Instead of coming and being excited about your God, you can come in and, have, and be mad at each other. That's what you have to lose. And this woman loved her daughter so much. She said, I, it, it doesn't matter. I, I need him. And he can ignore me. His disciples, people can complain about me. And, and he can even insult me. And he can, he can say these things to me, but I know what I need from him. And I'm not, I'm not budging. I refuse to accept the offense. I'm going to continue to seek from him what I need. And in the end, that kind of passion makes a statement. And makes a difference. And God is able to say to somebody in that position, you have what you desired. You made it 
all the way through these things, not even proposing that this was some huge test of, of hers. I don't understand the mind of Christ and all that his reasons that he might have done that. But the fact is, she waited it out and she refused to let this offender or this offender or this offender or that offender or that offender. And at the end, she looks back and she has a whole daughter. And you might end up with kids who really love the Lord. They love God. Because they saw, you know, my, my parents, you know, I don't, this probably could have really bothered them and this could have troubled them. But they were so passionate about what we could get from God and the importance of our church over our feelings. And kids watch that every day. And you have a chance to look back and say, God, thank you that you didn't let me overreact to this or that or that. Because now my kids see how important you are. And that you're so much more important than my own reactions, whether it's a marriage, parenting, or in a church. Let your faith be great. Let your faith be great that God wants to do something significant at West Valley, meaning something significant in your family. And you're going to have to make a commitment. In fact, I would challenge you in this invitation. I know you're thinking revival. What sins are you preaching on? Well, in this case, the sin of getting offended. Because you're going to have to stop when your emotions are at their highest and say, all right, God, some things that we need, our church needs, our community needs, and it's so much more important than the fact that I got ignored or that somebody complained about me or they made this insult. Lord, help me to stay focused so that when the emotions are highest, I realize what I need the most and what I'm going to love the most. We're going to have invitation in just a moment. Now, I don't know anybody in here probably that would disagree with that, disagree with the point. But when the emotion comes and it's your offense, it's different. Would you be willing at invitation time to ask God to build some kind of a hedge around your emotions, your processing of something that is said or something that is done, and give God a chance to preserve the future of West Valley Baptist Church and all the vision that is springing up to where, you, you, where you're thinking, boy, we're, things are going so good, we can't have, there won't be any problems. No, you become a target and that you would say, God, build a hedge around me so that we can not endanger what it is you're doing for us. I'm going to ask you to stand together, every head bowed. I certainly agree with what your pastor said. It's a great time to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to process this? Maybe there's some sons and daughters with offenses toward parents that need to just kneel and, and ask the Lord to help. Lord, please don't let me take this any further. Let me make this right so that I don't endanger our family. Maybe there's something between a husband and a wife. You know the tension that's there. And you probably know the cost is going to be really high. If somebody doesn't decide, I'm going to humble myself, that there are things more important than what my particular issue is. Maybe it's towards a pastor, towards a church leader, another church member. What's most important to you? Would you be willing to come turn loose of it? Lay it down. 
and confess, here is what's really the most important to me. I want my daughter healed. Father, I pray that there would be a desire on every church member that loves this church, loves what this church has been for their family, what this church has been in this community and could be in the years ahead. Lord, I pray that every every member that cares about that would really beg for your help at a time when emotions are high. There's a lot to be decided about whether an offense is worth it or whether the cost might be too great. So Lord, we put that in your hands. Ask you to do what only you can do. I pray that there's a people pliable to your Holy Spirit in this invitation time. Accomplish what you would choose, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. As the invitation is sung, you respond however God's dealt in your heart. sing one more verse. Father, you are good to give us truth like this. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the truth. And God, the, the reality is we, we always have to wrestle against being hearers and not doers. And I'm, I'm thankful for what pastors said at the end. We, we can shake our heads. We can say amen. But something can happen tomorrow 
or something can be lingering in our hearts from last week or from 10 years ago and can rob us of all that you would do. And God, the the sad reality is, is that there are many daughters unhealed because the offense in the moment was more important than the work that you could do. Many marriages, many churches. And so, Father, would you help us to be a people that humble ourselves as this dear sister, this dear Canaanite sister did. God, help us to bow ourselves at your feet. And while we may never be able to understand all of the whys, to recognize that what you offer is better than anything else and what we stand to lose isn't worth the moments of offense. So God, thank you for loving us enough to give us this. Please bless the afternoon, bless the service tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. It's great to be with you today. So thankful that we got to hear from God this morning. That was a blessing. Service begins at 5 o'clock tonight. Look forward to seeing you then. Excited about Pastor Hardy being with us tonight. God bless you. Hope you will be attentive to and responsive to how God spoke to you today. Don't let it pass by. Don't let it pass by. That's a blessing. See you tonight. We're going to sing verse number one of hymn number 119. Take my life and let it be. Hymn number 119. tonight at the 5 p.m. service.